good morning, West Franklin. It's good to see you, good to hear you sing, and uh, it's absolutely wonderful to be in this room worshiping with you. I'm sorry I don't have that guy's accent. <laughs> I, re- I really like the way he talks. I could listen to him read the, read the phone book, but I don't. Um, but why, why, did we sh- why did we show that video? Well, we believe that uh, well, it's happening, whether you believe it or not. Tons and tons and tons and tons of people are moving to Middle Tennessee uh, from all over the world, all over the nation. And we believe God has put us here, by, by us, I mean Brentwood and all eight campuses, including ours, put us here to, to make a gospel impact to the people God is bringing right here. And what you saw there was Pastor Mo, he's even got a great name and great accent, Pastor Mo, who God has raised up to plant a church to reach specific people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that. And I want to be a part of that. Brentwood Baptist has an audacious goal of a hundred healthy congregations a hundred healthy congregations. I think everybody believes that we need more healthy churches in Middle Tennessee, not just churches, but healthy churches. And that's what we're aiming to do. Last week, I walked up to this platform and I shared with you that we're starting a capital campaign called the Pursue Campaign, where we're asking all eight Brentwood campuses and and her members to uh, raise $30 million. And a third of that, $10 million, is going specifically towards church planting and or church revitalization here in Middle Tennessee. I had a young man in my office just this week. He and his family have been attending our campus, and he said, Pastor Matt, I think God may be calling me to church plant here in this area. And I said, boy, do I have some good news for you. Because at this moment, we are, we are in a campaign where we're, taking, we're gathering resources so that guys like you can have somewhere to be equipped somewhere to be trained and have a, have a rope to hold you and your congregation. So I, would, I love it. I think it's fantastic. When I think about churches moving forward in Middle Tennessee, I think about reading the book of Acts and uh, giving a part of that. So I want to encourage you to find one of these sheets in the lobby there where you can get more information about Pursue, something we're going to be talking about for several weeks in a row. You can go to PursueTN.com to find out more, learn more. I want to encourage you to be knowledgeable about this. If you're a member of one of this campus or any of the campuses, be knowledgeable and be obedient. At the end of March, we're going to ask all our members to, to participate in this in some way, shape, form, or fashion and to commit to giving to this because we believe it's, it's worth it and it's a kingdom effort. And so be in the know, uh, go online and, and read more, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more and more about this in the weeks to come. And of course, pray and seek the Lord's will on this. Speaking of giving, I'm going to ask the ushers now if they'd make their way forward. And, and, and guys and gals, you can go ahead and take up the offering at this point. While they're doing that, let me remind you and or inform you that every time you put a dollar in one of these plates or if you transfer any of your dollars from your bank account to Brentwood, I'll let you uh, online or through text. Every time you do that, a portion of that goes towards what's called Send Relief. Send Relief is a organization, or is, is a is a ministry of two different organizations: the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Why am I telling you all this? Because I have a pretty good feeling you've, found, you've learned that there's a war going on in Ukraine. And you've watched it, and you're burdened by it, and it hurts when you see what's going on. Send Relief is a ministry that puts resources and people and money on the ground in Ukraine to help our brothers and sisters in pain, to help those who are hurting. And you need to be aware that every time you give, a percentage of every dollar you give goes towards things like send relief. And that's a big deal. 
And because of your generosity, we're able to do that. We're, Brentwood Baptist leadership is uh, talking to more people on the ground. We're going to find out if there's anything else we as a church body can be doing, whether it's giving, whether it's going, whether how we can pray, that kind of thing. But you need to know that your giving goes towards things like sin relief that puts people on the ground to help those that are hurting. And that's a really big deal. And I'm glad to be a part of a church that does that. So thank you for your generosity. And we'll continue, encourage you to continue to give as God leads for his kingdom advance. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for these men and women and boys and girls in this room. Thank you for being able to be in this room. Thank you for allowing us to worship you through music. Thank you for allowing us to worship you through giving. And now as we turn our attention to your word, may we worship you in your word. Jesus, may you be lifted high because you're the one that's it's all for and from. And may our hearts be filled with worship, not just in this room, but even as we leave. Worship for you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Across Middle Tennessee, many people struggle without the life-giving relationship that only Jesus brings. Many are hurt, broken, and feel surrounded by darkness. That's why we want to intentionally pursue our neighbors as we engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. No matter the question, Jesus is always the answer. And just as Jesus did, we will pursue people as well. All right, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 4, you maybe have your Bible with you, maybe it's on your device. There are some Bibles in the chair racks underneath the seats. If you're on the front row, I'm sorry. Also, you will notice on the chair racks underneath your seats, those in front of you, look, you're going to see there's this little metal hole there. You know what that's for? That's for Lord's Supper element cups to go in. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Anyway, that's, that's for those. Uh, you can put that. We are having the table. We're all coming to the table at the end of the service today, so just know those are there for that. As you're finding John 4, let me, let me, let me encourage everyone here to, to seriously consider coming back tonight for the family gathering. I see a lot of first-time guests in this room. I see some, some guests who've been here before, and you're thinking, well, I'm not part of the family. Well, you may, you may one day, and you may want to think about joining the family, and you need to find out if there's any crazy uncles. And let me tell you, there are. And you will see them and you will know them. Uh, but before you jump in and become part of the fam, you might want to know who we are. And so we will get crazy with our food and we will have a lot of, time, we'll have a lot of fun. Tonight at 5 o'clock, whether you've been going here for a long time or this is one of your first times here, I would love for you to come. And uh, if you get in my way of the Chewies or nothing but cake, we're having nothing but cakes as well. <laughs> and uh, if you get in my way, there may be a problem, but I'm glad you're here. All right, John chapter 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 4. And believe it or not, I'm going to read all the way down through verse 30. And I'm going to assume that you're paying attention to the story as it goes, okay? Because I just couldn't shave any of this off. It's just too good. So stand with me in honor of God's word and let's read these verses together. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. The word of the Lord. He, that's Jesus, had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is this that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have, answered, you, have, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I The one speaking to you am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Jesus, may we encounter you the way this woman did. And now for the next few moments, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May your spirit remain and may, may we, by the power of your spirit, engage the greatness of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> Not sure if you were able to catch the Super Bowl two weeks ago, but there were some in- interesting commercials to say the least. Most of them were bad. There was one that was especially bad, and it was by the company now known as Meta, the artist formerly known as Facebook. I'll have a hard time ever calling them Meta. But they were advertising their new virtual reality deal. Perhaps you've, you've seen it. If you watched the commercial and you bought into the commercial, if you, got, if you get virtual reality from Meta, uh, everything broken in your past can be fixed, everything you've lost can be found, and all your heart's desires can be fulfilled. So I ordered one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> I was like, wow, that's promising a lot. But apparently, I've never done one of these things yet. But apparently, you put one of these things over your head, and, and, and it's like big goggles, and all of a sudden, you move into this new reality. They call it virtual reality, where you can pretty much end up in any space imaginable. There's any characters imaginable, and it's called a do- another form of reality, virtual reality. Sounds incredible, sounds scary, sounds exciting, sounds horrifying all at once. But it's interesting they call it. Reality. There's another 
there's another reality out there now called, perhaps you've heard it, augmented reality. And if you have a smartphone in your pocket, you can enjoy augmented reality. Not right now, of course, because you're listening to me. But there's augmented reality, which apparently the smartphone uses your phone's camera and you can hold it up to any space inside or outside and there becomes new color or new images or new surroundings. Um, To give you an example, Home Depot has an app and on their app, they have an augmented reality function. Whereas if you're thinking about painting your kitchen, you can download the Home Depot app on your phone with a couple of taps. Say, you know what? I'd like this hot pink in here in my kitchen. And you, and you can hold up your phone, tap the hot pink paint, and you can say, here's what my kitchen will look like with pink. It's pretty cool. They call it augmented reality. You hold it up and there's new images and characters that, 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 that go into it. So I find it very interesting that they're calling this reality. Because you say, well, is it real? No, no, but I mean, you kind of enter a different world, but it's not real, but it's it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, kind of reality. But is it reality? Well, no, no, but I mean, it's, yeah. uh. Speaking of reality, do you know that every time Jesus shows up, you experience ultimate reality. See, I fear that you and I live in a f- altered reality. One that's altered by sin, one that's altered by wickedness, one that's altered by darkness. And then Jesus shows up and we're like, whoa. And it's weird to us, but to him, he's like, this is ultimate reality. This is the way it's supposed to be. Did you notice the the two different people that were shocked in this story? Jesus shows up and ultimate reality happens, but the people here on earth, our, our version of reality is messed up. It gets upside down because Jesus is talking to a woman. Do you notice the woman says, why are you talking to me? John tells us that Jesus had to travel and he went, we went, went through this place where Jacob's well was and Jesus sat down by the well because he was tired and this lady walks up and he asked her for a drink. But that, that's a big no, that's a social no-no in New Testament times. Men don't talk to women in public in New Testament times, especially Jewish men. And she, You're asking me for a drink? She's shocked. But not only is she a woman, but guess what kind of woman? A Samaritan woman. Now, you may not know this, but Samaritans and Jews have some bad, bad blood between one another. I don't have time to get into it all, but Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds, trash. And now Jesus is not just talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's something else going on here. She's got a shady past. There's some moral barriers there. And Jesus steps in and he talks to this woman and says, whoa, 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 whoa. But that's ultimate reality. When Jesus shows up, there are no social barriers. 
When Jesus shows up, there are no race barriers. When Jesus shows up, there are no moral barriers. When he shows up, that's how ultimate reality is. It's as if he pulls back the curtain of the kingdom of heaven and lets us see how it's really supposed to be. And we find that we haven't been living in reality. Jesus brings it. (laughs) But there's another group that's surprised. At the end of the story, did you catch it? The disciples had gone into town to buy tacos. They come by, I don't know if they get tacos or not. I would have gotten tacos. But they go in to buy food and they come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman. And did you notice what John said? They didn't say it out loud, but they were like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? Shock. This can't be happening. But Jesus is the one who's not shocked because he's bringing in ultimate kingdom reality. This is how it's supposed to be, boys. There are no barriers in the kingdom of heaven. There's no walls. This is how it is. You know, John says that, make sure we understand that it wasn't just any well where Jesus and this woman met. It was at whose well? Starts with J, ends with cup. Jacob, yes. Is that Jacob's well? I think John is doing something. These aren't throwaway words. He's wanting us to go back. Now, I don't know about you, but perhaps if you've ever read the Bible all the way through, which I commend you for that, and, and I recommend it even though I must say sometimes I've struggled to read it all the way through. Done it a couple of times. But even if you start in Genesis 1, by the time you get to John 4, if you're like me, you forget what happened in Genesis. It's just a lot there. But John's assuming we know something about the way God works at wells. Some of you will recall Genesis chapter 24. Abraham and Sarah had a boy. What was his name? Isaac, thank you. Which means what? My favorite thing to do. It means laughter, right? Isaac means laughter. And so guess what? Isaac grew up and, and, and Abraham and Sarah wanted him out of the house. It says, time for you to get married, boy. And they send him off to a faraway land because obviously there weren't any hometown women around. So they send him to a faraway land and Isaac, God love him, he and his servant get this plan. They're by a well. They end up by a well and they get a plan and they say, the woman who waters your camels... That's going to be your woman, Isaac. What a pickup line. (laughs) Want to water my camels? (laughs) See those? Thirsty. (laughs) You want to water my camels? Well, it worked. Because Rebecca came and watered the camels. And guess what? She left her foreign land. And became a part of the family of God. A foreign woman left her homeland. And her husband was Isaac and her father-in-law was Abraham. A couple chapters later. Genesis 28, a generation later. Isaac and Rebekah give birth to twins. One's name's Esau, the other's name is... Uh Uh-oh, Jacob. Here we are. Jacob. Well, Jacob grows up and Isaac and Rebecca want him out of the house. 
It's time for you to find a woman. Not here. I want you to go somewhere else to find her. Again, I don't know what's up with the women where they were, but apparently they weren't good pickings. So he sends them off to a faraway land. And Jacob ends up by a well that's capped with a large stone. Well, the Bible tells us that Rachel walks up. Jacob apparently gets this supernatural power, moves the stone. I could be yours. And it worked. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when guys are trying to impress girls, there's this supernatural power that overcomes them. They think it overcomes them. Well, Jacob moved the rock and a well was open. Jacob's well. He gets, and Rachel believes him, goes with him. She leaves her foreign land and becomes a part of the family of God. Her husband's Jacob. Her father-in-law's Isaac and her great-granddad, or her granddad-in-law is Abraham. Family of God. And then then you keep reading a a few chapters later. It's it's in the next book in Exodus chapter 2. Moses is on the run. Well, because he killed a guy. And he's on the run. So he's a fugitive. And so when he runs, guess where he finds himself? He's by a? Y'all are on it. He finds himself by a well. And there are these good-looking ladies who come up who are being harassed by some shepherds. These good-looking ladies, their dad's name is Jethro. Don't you love that? (laughs) Jethro's daughters are coming to the well and they're being messed around by by shepherds and Moses bows up. You leave these women alone. And it worked. One of Jethro's daughters' name was Zipporah. Moses and Zipporah get married and Zipporah ends up as a foreign woman, now part of the family of God. Whoa. John's doing something. I was researching this week, there was a gentleman by the name of Matthew Westerholm who is a professor and a writer and kind of helped me see this. And he, he said this about these three instances in the Old Testament. I thought it was rich. He said, just as in Isaac's story, Jesus sat by a well, met a woman and asked her for a drink. When she questioned his request, he, like Jacob, offered her a drink. And just as Moses arrived at a well and delivered the daughters of Jethro from their harassers, Jesus dealt with the harassments of this woman's heart. What's John telling us? Jesus and this Samaritan woman, they're not having a romantic encounter. It's much greater than that. It's much deeper than that. It's more satisfying than that. It's richer than that. John is saying, if you're paying attention to become a part of the family of God, it has nothing to do with your religious pedigree. It has nothing to do with your race. It has nothing to do with your moral upbringing, whether good or bad. It has everything to do with what you do with Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of the family of God, it has everything to do with whether or not you believe he's the Messiah. Where were we last week? Do you remember? If we're in John 4 this week, it means what, where were we probably last week? <laughs> yeah, okay, two of you got that right. Very good. And you remember who we talked about last week? Oh, gosh. I need therapy. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I went back and read this morning. Yeah, Nicodemus. Very good. Nicodemus. And what kind of man was Nicodemus? Righteous, upstanding, a ruler of the Jews. 
in our reality, this guy would have looked like the picture of being a part of the family of God. If anybody's part of the family of God, it's Nicodemus. But what time of day did he go to Jesus? Remember, Nick at night? At night, John's doing something. Whenever John, whenever John talks about darkness or light, he's telling us something. He's a beautiful writer. And if you pay attention, Nicodemus never gets it. He stays in the dark. Matter of fact, verse 10 of chapter 3, Jesus says, Are you the teacher of the Jews and you don't know these things? And as far as we know, in that conversation, he never reveals himself to Nicodemus. Turn the page. What kind of person do we have? Mm, Samaritan woman. What time of day does she show up at the well? There we go. I heard Noon. Sun, straight up. Light. Heat. John's telling us something. She's looking for the Messiah. We know because at the end of the story, she says, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us. And what does he do? He reveals himself to her. I who speak to you. Verse 26. And me. John is letting us know, church, that to to be a part of the family of God in his reality, it's about what you do with him. It may not look like reality to us, but when the kingdom is known and he pulls back the curtain of how it works, his reality is that it all hinges on the sufficiency and the glory of Christ. What he's done, that's ultimate, ultimate reality. You do know, Perhaps that this is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has in the Gospels. You were probably wondering earlier if I was ever going to stop reading. This is the longest recorded conversation Jesus has in the Gospels, and it's with a woman, and it's with a Samaritan woman. That's important. The implications of this are massive. Again, John's trying to tell us something. And you can imagine what kind of woman this was when she encountered Jesus. Divorced five times. And divorce in New Testament, the women could not do divorces. It was all the men's initiative and the men's doings. Which means she was rejected at least five times. And she had given up on marriage by this point. And she decided to live with a man who was not her husband. And you can tell in the way she talks that she's known nothing but toxic relationships. She defers when he brings stuff up. There's a little snarkiness in her, in her tone. And if you know of anyone or you yourself have been in a toxic relationship, especially if you're a female who's been in toxic relationships with other males, you have a very difficult time understandably trusting another male. And here's this man asking her for a drink, and she is just, whoa. Whoa, whoa. But where are they? At a whale. <laughs> I said whale. That's Jonah. They're at a whale. I said it again. <laughs> W-E-L-L. And the water there is stagnant. Stale. And it's a picture of what Jesus is offering this woman. You think another one night stand is going to fix it? You think you think being accepted by another male is going to fix you? 
you 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 think that maybe maybe these uh, relationships are gonna are gonna are gonna take care of your ultimate satisfaction? Jesus says, no, no, you you have to keep coming back to this water, but I want to offer you water that never stops. It's living water. In other words, he's saying, God sent me to tell you that you are loved. You are accepted. You are treasured. You have identity. You have purpose. And, And when your heart feasts on that, it never thirsts for anything else. You want that. I mean, ultimately, that's what we want, right? We want to know that we're loved and we want to know that we are, we are known and treasured. And Jesus says, you can have this stale stuff if you want, but it won't do the trick. God loves you. And if you come to me and give you what I offer, you'll never thirst again. It's interesting how this conversation ends on worship, isn't it? Did you catch that? This conversation ends with a discussion about worship, which I think Jesus kind of wanted to go here all along. But he does something a bit cruel to get there. First time you read it, you're like, come on, Jesus, that's a low blow. He says, or she said, sir, give me this living water so so I won't have to come back to to this well anymore and drink. And She's thinking physical, but he's in the spiritual realm. And what does he say? Go call your husband and come back. Come on, Jesus. Just let that go, man. What time of day was she at the well? Noon. You know why she was there at noon? Nobody went at noon. That was the hottest part of the day. If you go to the well, you go early in the morning with a big group or late in the evening with a big group. You know why she was there at noon? Because she was sick of hearing the gossip from the Samaritans. She was sick of being judged. She just wanted to be alone by herself for just a little bit where nobody's snickering behind her back and saying, there she goes. And she says, where can I go get this water that he brought up? And the first thing out of his mouth is, go call your husband and come back. Come on, Jesus. And then it gets worse because you can just imagine her face just looks down and says, I have no husband. You can only imagine the tone of her voice, a tone of shame, maybe a tone of anger. I don't know. But she, but she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says, that's right. You've had five. And the man you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is true. <laughs> Jesus, easy. She came here to get away from that. Now you're going to bring it up? Why would you bring that up, Jesus? Here's why I brought it up. You will never know that you can be fully loved until you know that you can be fully known. You will never, ever be fully loved unless you're fully known. And if you try to hide those dark places, you won't ever know if God can love that. Jesus didn't bring it up to condemn the woman. Jesus brought it up to say, I can love you in that. She desires what all of us desire. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be accepted. And we want to be loved. And you want to worship Jesus? 
when his spirit connects with your spirit and the truth of who he is connects with the truth of who you are. That's the kind of worshipers the father is seeking. Those who say I'm fully known and fully loved. That's beautiful. She wants what we all want. Every human being in this room wants to be seen. I can prove it. Every, every person in this room wants to know that they're seen and wants to know that they're loved and known. I mean, why is it that we want someone to know that we worked extra hours this week? Why is it that we want someone to know that, that we did stuff that's outside of our job description? Just see me. Why, why, why is it that we hope somebody says, have you lost weight? Or we long for somebody not to say, have you put on some? It's not funny. It's why, and it's not just the young people that do this. It's not just the young people. It's why every time we post something on social media, we want to know how many likes and who liked it. We want to be seen. Did anybody see me? It's, it's, it's why grandkids call their grandparents after a basketball game to say, here's how many points I had. But we don't want anybody to see the other because if they just see the good, maybe we'll be accepted. Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. Let me tell you that I can love that part of you. You and I will never know the true love of God unless we let God love all of us. Worship is when the spirit of God meets with our spirit. The truth of who God is connects with the authentic truth of who we are. When I was about 16 or 17, there was this three, four or five day period in my life season where there was major friction between me and my dad. I'll never forget it. My dad and I have always had a good relationship. A couple of spots in the teenage years. But I remember there was a, a significant several-day season where he was just cold towards me. He wasn't mean, but it was just there was just ice in the air. There was just friction there, and it bothered me. At first, I thought, well, he's just stressed from work, or he and mom are having a tiff or something, but it just kind of continued. And so finally, I said, Dad, what is wrong? And before I tell you the rest of the story, you need to know something about growing up in rural North Alabama. If you grow up in rural North Alabama and you're a male, your rite of passage is to try either red man chewing tobacco or wintergreen skull. And yours truly had been introduced to wintergreen skull, and I liked it a little bit. Well, I didn't know this, but my dad had found out that his boy had tried and was beginning to participate in wintergreen skull. One day, I will get my sisters back. But I said, I said, I said, Dad, what is wrong? He said, you really want to know? I should have said, no, we're good. But I said, I said, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I got to know. I, this is weird. I can't keep going like this. I don't know what's going on with you. He said, go out in your cart that I bought. Go out in your car and get the stuff and bring it in here. And I want you to teach me and your mama how to do it. She's going to try it with us. Now, I said, I said, what stuff? 
<laughs> you know, go get the stuff and get it out of the car, bring it in here. I'm going to get your mama in here and we're going to try it. I've already told her when this comes, when she's going to try it too. So I left and I, I, I walked to my car and I prayed and I fasted and I sang six versions of how great thou art. Cried out to the Lord God for deliverance. And I go, and I go back in with my can of skull and I put it there on the counter. Mom's there. I didn't know it at the time. Later still, she's mortified. And he goes, go ahead. And I did what any true man would do. And I just started crying. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Such a man. Why do I tell you that? My, my parents don't approve of that. Never, never have, never will. But I didn't know that my dad could love me even though I did that until after that happened. I learned something through that. My dad loved me on the other side of it. He loved me in it. And if I had kept that hidden, I would have never known that. Go call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. That's right, you've had five. And I don't bring it up to condemn you, but your heart's made to worship. And you need to know that I know everything about you and I love you in that even. What are you keeping from God that he, you don't think he can love? You'll never truly worship God unless you let him love all of you. And I got a little secret that you need to be aware of. He's big enough to handle. Deacons, can I ask you to come forward and observe the Lord's Supper together? You say, how can God love me? Pastor, you, you just don't, you don't know. I mean, you talk about dipping skull for a little bit. You don't know. Well, believe you me, I didn't tell you everything I did. <laughs> he loved me, and that's too embarrassing. But I don't know. God does. And I'm guessing there's a part of you that you just don't want him to see because you don't think he can love you in it. You say, well, how can he? What about my sins? Where does that go? Well, that's why we come to the table. Because, yeah, we've sinned. Yeah, we've blown it. And Jesus took the punishment we deserve for our sins on the cross. Those dark places that you're afraid to bring into the light, Jesus nailed to the cross. And it's over. Those who are part of the family of God aren't perfect people. They're those who believe in the perfect one who did it for us. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to, these men are going to pass out the elements. You're going to get two cups in one. There's going to be bread at the bottom and juice on the top. And I want you to just hang on to that until we all get it. We'll partake of it together. And I want you to just sit there and say, Jesus, without you, I, I can't. I can't. And ask him if there's a spot, if there's an area that you hadn't let him touch. And I bet he'll bring it up. But it's not to condemn you. It's to say, let me teach you how real love looks. I know you. 
I accept you. I love you. Father, be pleased. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.